My paranormal stories are a very long list. Some terrified me and still do to this day. I'm 27 and live in North Carolina, and that's where everything has happened. My first ever paranormal experience was when I was just three to four years of age, probably around 1992 or 93. I started having night terrors. I kept dreaming of these shadow dog figures, and in the dream my neighbor's dog, a chow breed, would burst through the window of my bedroom and save me. As time went on and I got a little older, I started to actually wake from the nightmare and see the shadow dog for real. At first I thought it was our black dog because he was short and so was the shadow. I called out to him, but this creature wasn't him. This continued for several months and I would scream for my mother. She ended up getting worried and sleep deprived. She then took me to a psychiatrist and they ran tests to find nothing wrong. It kept happening and I ended up having severe anxiety from it and still do. This never stopped and has continued into my adulthood. I never told anyone but my mom because it was evident even at a young age that people would label me crazy. Until we moved across the street and my best friend's family moved in, it took four years for my best friend to have the same problem. I never told her either because she is an easy scare. When she turned 16, she finally told me what had been happening. I almost cried and finally knew it wasn't just me. She had to endure countless things at her new home with me anyway, so I couldn't bear to tell her about her family's home. She stood with me in our kitchen, listening to stuff getting thrown around. I've always been super sensitive to things like this, and they tend to be extreme at times. The most recent thing that happened to me in her family home was in 2013. I went to clean for her father, and he had to go to an appointment and left me there alone to clean his son's room. The room. As I was in there organizing all of his toys, something said, Let's play again. It sent shivers through me, and my entire body was covered in goosebumps. Fight or flight kicked in, and faster than a cat, I was off the floor and out the front door. After smoking a cig and talking to my mother, I got the nerve to go back in there. I started to yell scripture at it and told it to leave that room and to leave me alone. Well, it did leave the room, but not the house. I could hear it walking, almost pacing back and forth in the hallway. And this man has no animals in the home. I started praying over the whole room to keep his son safe and protected. I started to feel calm and safe and thought I had actually done something. But no, I hadn't. My friend's father was pulling in the driveway. I was so relieved because the presence is afraid of him for some reason. You can feel it cower and leave. After that I started having very bad night terrors to the point I would wake up in tears. A 24 year old woman then, I felt so unsafe and it made me feel inferior when I am normally very strong minded. It got so bad that I would wake up choking and one time I woke up and was choking myself. 
I had dreams of Satanist churches and a small boy throwing his twin sister off a balcony at a Satanist church as a sacrifice to Lucifer. I will never forget this. It's like yesterday and still so vivid. My ex witnessed me talking and growling in another language. I rolled over like I had never even been asleep and he looked terrified. I asked if he was okay and he told me I had been doing that for three hours. I told him not to worry because I used to sing in Latin in my high school choir and maybe it was my subconscious, but the growling I cannot explain. The night terrors continued and knocks and doors flying open, the sound of footsteps, things going missing never to be seen again. A friend of mine introduced me to a psychic via Facebook. She told me to bless a quartz crystal and how to do so. I did and it helped me tremendously with my night terrors and protected me in many bad situations. Now though, I'm living with my current boyfriend in his mother's home where a murder took place. Two homes right beside each other and both had to be blessed by priests. We live near a creek that used to be a Native American settlement. His family has planted blueberry bushes on both properties. Still though I pick up on something present on the land and have heard a residual gunshot in the home. After I heard the shot, two days later I was lying down for bed and something ran a finger up my side and I jumped closer to my boyfriend and wouldn't let go of him. I was shaking. You would think it wouldn't bother me by now, but in fact it still does. Everywhere I live in this town has some kind of paranormal occurrence. Last year I woke up to my friend calling my name at 8.30am. I looked all over the house for her and found nothing. I put my clothes on thinking maybe she was in distress and needed me, so I got in my car and headed over there. She met me at the door and asked if I had been there. I hadn't and I told her this asking her why as well. She told me she woke up at 8.30, same as me, to the sound of me calling her name. Luckily I had brought my sage and told her it was time to cleanse the home again. I went to every corner of the home, starting in the basement and sent the presents out her front door. She did as I did, of course because the land and home belonged to her, making it more effective. Well, I got home and realized I had royally messed up because it had followed me. So many terrible things followed. I smudged my father's home where I was staying because my sister was doing drugs and becoming increasingly more violent which wasn't actually normal even on the drugs. I decided to get my sage out and cleanse the home. I had done this before with no ill reaction from my sister or father. They didn't even know I had done it the other times. I asked God to protect my family from any harm or violence. My sister came in right after I was done and started trying to scream at me. She instantly started choking on her own words and could not cuss me. She couldn't even look me in the face. Her drug use would counteract my cleanse somehow after a week or two. This is what prompted the crystals. Being a sensitive and empath, I know I will never get away from these occurrences. 
but I'm trying to keep a level head and not be frightened, which has been hard for me to do. Over the course of my 49 years of life, I have had many paranormal experiences. In my early life I heard an electrical buzzing sound, or maybe something like a swarm of bees leaving my dad's room on the third day of his passing. The sound was heard clearly inside our house, and all of us present followed it out our back door and heard it leaving our house and going up into the night sky. Later in my life I lived in many houses that had paranormal issues. I told people over those years that is why the rent was so cheap. I experienced a ghost black cat that would not let me cross the street one evening. That one freaked me out because I could see his silhouette, but my hand passed right through him when I tried to pet him. And yet another incident with an animal happened one evening a few years ago in my sister's apartment. She had three dogs and the oldest one was put down due to health issues that were causing him a lot of pain. My wife and I stayed one evening and we had to sleep on the living room floor because it was my sister's last evening at the apartment and she had already moved all the beds. My sister was going to sleep on her couch with her other two small dogs. As my wife and I settled in and lights were out, my wife suddenly said, There is a freaking dog lying on my feet. I also felt it, but just to make sure I moved and started to rub his side with my right foot. I could feel his firm coat, but oddly not warm. I reached over for the flashlight and when I turned on the light, there was no dog at her feet and the other two were lying on the couch with my sister. My wife said it felt like it floated down on her foot and not walked on our makeshift bed. About 19 years ago, I had a friend who passed at the young age of 25. I'm convinced he came back to thank me in a dreamlike state for something I said about him. Not long after this happened, I was lying on my bed one morning and heard a coin hit the floor, somewhere either in our kitchen or living room. It was still dark and I had my eyes closed but I could hear this coin coming down the long 50-foot hallway straight to the foot of my bed. Then it started to go around in circles until it vibrated to a stop. As soon as it stopped vibrating, my alarm clock went off and it was exactly 5 a.m. I heard my wife, who was sleeping with my daughter in the other room, get up and go to the kitchen. As I was getting ready to leave, I stopped at my front door as my wife said, do you know what woke me up this morning? I immediately said, A penny. Then I said, Wait a minute, I haven't even seen it yet. As we both walked back the hallway, I stopped in disbelief at what I saw on the hallway. I said, What's wrong with this picture? First, I had a plywood floor that in some places the coin would have had to jump over a one-eighth inch. What was even more amazing was that my wife had laundry all over the floor in a zigzag pattern that would have made it impossible for the coin to travel in a straight line. When I finally reached the foot of my bed, it was indeed a penny. Now my last story is one of my brother-in-law, who passed a few years ago. His passing really took the wind out of my sail. 
He was my go-to guy when I needed healing. On Valentine's Day, ten months after he passed, my wife and I were headed home when all of a sudden my SUV radio stations started switching to different channels and the volume display was going up and down until it stopped on one song. The song playing was about dying young. It played all the way home until I reached my driveway and stopped my car. I went inside my house and cried. I told my brother-in-law if he could hear me to please know he didn't have to prove to me that he was still around. I told him it was not the same as before because we can't have a normal conversation. Fast forward a few months and I was at the end of my rope arguing with my young daughter one night. As my daughter slammed the front door and went outside, I said out loud in front of my wife, I hope my brother-in-law scares the you-know-what out of her. I regret this request for the rest of my life. A few days later, my daughter was better than normal in her behavior. She seemed to be the nicest person in the world, and she was doing all of her chores. When I asked my wife what was up, she told me I think it's better she tells you so you can explain. I had no idea what she was talking about. I called my daughter to my room. She began by apologizing and starting to tell me about that night we argued. She said after she cooled off and came back inside the house, she went straight to bed. During the night, she said she felt something pick her up and lay her down on the carpet next to her bed. She woke up, but was too scared to open her eyes. She then felt herself being dragged across the carpet and could feel the fibers dragging across her face until she came to a stop. As she summoned herself to open her eyes, she found herself in the middle of our hallway. She got up and ran back to her room and covered her eyes with her bed sheets. Reluctantly, I told her what I said that night and vowed never to repeat it. I told her that our loved ones need to be at rest and should never have to come back to solve our problems. I told her we should never open doors we cannot close because sometimes unwanted spirits cross over and cause more tension in our lives. Nevertheless, this incident came with both positive and negative results in our relationship. She is still somewhat in denial of the paranormal and wishes to put the whole incident behind her. My experience happened on July 21st, 2009 in Bellmead, Texas, just 15 days after my mother passed away. After my mother died, I moved in with my sister. One day we all had plans. My sister and her family were leaving to go out of town, and my one-year-old nephew was very attached to me, so I decided to keep him and take him with me to the bookstore. My brother-in-law turned some rock music on while everyone was getting ready, when all of a sudden the stereo switched to country music and the volume went up really loud. My mother always listened to country music on that stereo. Then, I was in my room getting ready and my sister told me that they would let me know when they were leaving. She had not done that yet, so I assumed they were still home and that she was in her bedroom getting ready as well. I knocked on her door and I heard someone tell me very loudly and clearly, Just a minute. 
so I stood there waiting for her to let me in. Finally, after standing there for quite a while, I knocked again and nobody answered that time. I yelled my sister's name and no response, so I walked in her room and the light was on, but there was no one there. I looked out the front door and a car was gone. I was really freaked out. I got my nephew ready and we went to the bookstore. My sister was not due to be back for a few hours and I knew I was not staying by myself after that happened. So I made sure everything was turned off, locked the door and we left. My sister only had one house key because she lost the other key and she gave the key to me because I was going to be back before them. I stayed at the bookstore for a while, then decided to go home because I knew my sister would be home in an hour or so. I got home, unlocked the door, and as soon as I walked in, I heard water running. I ran into the kitchen and the sink was flooding over. There was water all over the floor and water coming out of the faucet full blast. That water was not left on before, and I was the only person with a key to unlock the door to get back into the house. Later that night, my sister and her husband were going to see a movie, so I reluctantly agreed to stay by myself and babysit. That evening I made a big pallet of cushions on the living room floor and was going to put a movie on for us to watch, but before I turned on the movie, I gathered all four kids and told them they needed to clean their mess up first. My three-year-old niece refused to help clean up, so I told her to get up and help or she was not going to watch the movie. She again refused. All of a sudden, she started crying and I asked her what was wrong, and she told me that Nanny, who was my mother who passed away almost three weeks before, told her that she had to behave for Aunt Holly, me and help the other kids clean up the mess. I was really freaked out. My niece continued to talk to her nanny, my mother, for months after she passed away, and when we would ask her where nanny was, she would tell us that she was floating on the ceiling. My sister and her husband got home around 11pm that night, and everyone went to bed, but I just couldn't sleep, so I decided to stay up and watch a movie. While I was watching the movie, my brother-in-law came bursting out of his bedroom door and was incredibly freaked out. He said that he felt a human grab his foot while he was sleeping, and as he woke up and turned around, he saw my mother standing at the end of his bed, which made sense because my sister would always send my mother in to wake him up from a nap, and she would grab his foot playfully to wake him. We had many, many experiences like that for a while. We had a birthday party for my oldest niece on January 28, 2010, and we took a lot of pictures. Later on when we went back to look at the pictures, we noticed that in every picture there was an orb above my niece's head. There were pictures of my niece opening gifts of her playing outside. In every picture she was doing something totally different and in different rooms of the house, and the orb was still above her head. And we obviously think that it is our mother visiting her for her birthday, because our mom loved us and her grandkids very much, and she actually lived with my sister for years before her death. When I moved in three days after she died, I moved into her room, 
and sometimes I felt her presence in that room and would feel someone touching my hair or rubbing my back, which is something she always did to me to show that she loved me. I know this is probably not scary to some people, but to me, it was very, very scary, even though it was my mom. I'm a 22-year-old girl, and the following incident happened when I was 17 years old. I live in Kerala, India with my family, consisting of my dad, mom, and younger brother. We moved to this house two years back, and everything was normal. I usually go to sleep very late at night, spending time reading books or listening to music. One night after listening to music for a very long time, I became sleepy and removed my headphones. I clearly remember checking the time and it was around 3am. I was simply lying down to try to sleep and that's when I heard a sound. Concentrating further, I was able to understand that it was a weeping sound and probably from a little child and it was coming from the next room. I immediately checked the other two rooms for my parents and brother and they were all sound asleep. We all keep our doors open at night. I also checked the neighborhood for lights and I couldn't find any. I was really confused and went to the dining room from where the sound was heard louder. I asked who it was and suddenly the weeping was heard from the living room. I followed the sound into the living room and repeated the same question and now the sound started coming from my room. I became really confused this time and went to my room. As soon as I entered my room, the weeping sound stopped abruptly. Before this, I had never experienced any paranormal activity, though I strongly believed in it. My grandmother had told me plenty of her paranormal experiences. I decided to let it go and get some sleep. I closed my door and climbed into my bed where I heard a knock on my door. At the same time, there was a thud on my window. By this time, I got a bit scared and got under my covers and was finally able to sleep. When I woke up in the morning, I felt really stupid and tried to dismiss the experiences as my imagination. When I told my mom about this, she asked me to lock my door at night and to get to sleep early. I thought it was all over. But from that day, I felt a presence with me in my room every night. It never tried to communicate with me or scare me, but I could always feel it with me at night when I'm home alone. This continued into the following year when I entered college and moved to a hostel. I no longer felt the presence around me, not even when I came back to the house to spend vacations. After a year or two, however, I got a frantic phone call from my mother about her experience the previous night. That night she was laying on the bed unable to sleep when she heard a weeping from a little child. She got really afraid because she knew that nobody in the house was awake during that hour and she listened carefully without making any noise or getting out of the bed. As she listened, the weeping got louder and she realized that whatever it was, it was approaching her. She was terrified and searched for the light switch. The sound got closer 
and at the last moment she was able to switch on the light, and the sound abruptly stopped. She immediately got out of the bed and locked the door. She slept with lights on that night. When she woke up in the morning, she remembered about my experience and called me. She started locking her door at night, and neither of us heard that sound again. March 2015, Orlando, Florida My children, wife, family, and friends have all experienced paranormal activity in this house. There isn't just one ghost, but so many over the years due to previous occupants playing with the Ouija board. In 2009, my neck was broken in a bicycle accident. I have had two MRIs and pain management pills and spinal shots. In March 2015, I was so sick as never being able to sleep in the constant pain that I asked the spirits in my house to just take me. What happened next, I have never seen in any story. I would regularly have my son sleep with his mother because I could not sleep and the pain was worse at night. So on the night of the first experience, I think I fell asleep at 4am with my little dog in bed with me and Pitbull on the floor next to the bed. I felt three fingers held together press underneath the bed on my lower back, and the pressure got stronger and stronger. These fingers started to go up my spine, and I looked at my little dog next to me as she was freaking out. Then the bed lifted off the floor a foot as these fingers went up my spine and my lower half was frozen. When this presence went all the way up to my skull, I thought for sure it was trying to invade my body. So I said, Leave me now! And the bed dropped to the floor. The next day I called my sister and told my wife because we all have had experiences and events in this house over and over. So twenty days from that event, I was working on my SUV in the front driveway and asked my wife to come outside and stand next to the jack while I was working inside the wheel well with the tire on. I felt the lower part of my back disc start to separate one by one. There was a previous operation there at L5 to L7. Then there was an electrical charge that started from that area so strong I could feel it go through my back, up through my arms and out my fingers. The same thing with my legs and down to my toes. This hurt so bad, it felt like holding on to 120 volts and just staying there. I screamed really loud, and my neck snapped so loud my wife heard it outside the vehicle. I fell to the ground, and first moved my fingers, and then legs to see if I could even move, and I could, just fine. I got up and told my wife that I felt different, really different and asked her to feel my disc and my neck by my skull that would stick out a half an inch. My wife didn't feel it anymore, and I felt better, but not perfect yet. The following week I went to my pain management doctor, and I didn't tell her the true story of what had happened, only that my neck snapped back into place. At this point, doctors only wanted to surgically remove my problem disc, so the doctor prescribed more pills but I didn't tell her I'd stopped taking the pills I was on for the past six years. 
I wanted to see where this was going to take me. So 21 days from the first event, again I still wasn't perfectly sleeping due to pain still under my upper back and neck, but what changed was that I could now sleep on my side, which I wasn't able to do for years, and my arms were not going to sleep over and over again like they did through the night. Again sleeping with my little dog in my son's bed, I awoke at 3am with a hand on my left shoulder and what felt like a knee in the center of my back and a hand on my lower right shoulder. The ghost pushed forward with so much force it put my right shoulder back into socket which I had no idea was even out. Once that was done, I haven't had the level of pain I lived in for the past six years. After this I was scheduled to have another doctor visit and I told the doctor the true story and that I would no longer need the pills. She believed me. I'm looking back into the records to possibly find if maybe there was a chiropractor that lived in the house in the past. Kristen was five years old when she was living with her parents in Trafford, Pennsylvania. At the time, she recalls, her grandmother was in the hospital recovering from a stroke. She and I were very close, Kristen says. I never got to visit her in the hospital. My mom and dad thought it would be too much for me to handle at such a young age. Early Sunday morning around 5 a.m., Kristen was suddenly awakened and sat straight up in her bed. I saw a woman's figure standing at the end of my bed, she says. Thinking the figure was her mother, Kristen had no reason to be frightened. She called out to the woman, but there was no answer. Again she called, Mommy, but there was only silence. The woman just stood there staring at me and extended her arm, Kristen recalls. I began to panic because I didn't know why my mom wasn't responding to me. I began to scream, Mom. Kristen's mother came running into her room to see what was wrong. She asked me if I was okay and asked her why she wasn't answering me and why she was standing there just staring at me, she says. She came and sat on my bed, felt my head to make sure I wasn't spiking a fever and told me I must have been dreaming. She told me she was in bed sleeping the whole time. Kristen reluctantly accepted her mother's answer and went back to sleep. Later that morning, Kristen's parents received a phone call from her uncle. It was news about Kristen's grandmother. She had passed in her sleep during the early morning hours. My mom began to cry, but composed herself to continue the conversation, says Kristen. Her brother informed her the time of death was about 5 a.m. that morning. She explained to me that grandma had passed away, and now she would not be in pain, and she was an angel in heaven. It wasn't until a few days later that Kristen's mother connected the time of her mother's passing and Kristen's waking vision of the shadowy woman in her room. She didn't tell me this story until I was about ten years old, Kristen says. I remember it so clearly as she told it to me, and I realized it was my grandmother coming to see me and say goodbye. It was the spring of 1990 when Josh, his brother Aaron, 
and his mother were living in a mobile home on a farm outside of Laurelville, Ohio. On this night, Josh awoke from a disturbing nightmare. Today he cannot recall the details of the bad dream, but he does remember that it scared him enough that he had to get out of bed to seek his mother's comfort. I walked up the short hallway to my mother's room to try and crawl in bed with her, Josh says. She told me to go back to my bed, so I walked back toward my room, which I shared with my brother Aaron. Josh was not prepared for what he encountered as he began to enter his room. I will never forget what I saw. There on my brother's bedpost was a dark figure that looked like a gargoyle or gremlin. I really couldn't make out anything like its feet or legs. It just had a really square, rigid head like a gargoyle. It was about two feet tall and was hunched over a bit and was looking at Aaron. I stopped dead in my tracks and gasped when I saw it. It turned its head as if it heard me. I couldn't see any eyes, just the outline of its face. Terrified, Josh turned and ran back into his mother's room. Figuring Josh was just in need of a little assurance, she walked him back to his bedroom to show that there was no monster there. And indeed, there wasn't. Whatever Josh saw was now gone. She didn't believe me, so I just tried to forget it, Josh says. I didn't mention it to anyone after that night. So it must have been Josh's imagination, influenced by his nightmare, right? A few years later, when Josh was in 10th grade, he was sitting with a classmate named Ryan. Josh noticed a few large scars on his neck and asked Ryan how he got them. Ryan said that when he was about 8 years old, he accidentally ran through a sliding glass door. He claimed the cuts almost killed him due to blood loss. But then he confessed to Josh a strange element to the story. The strange thing was, Ryan told him, the night before the accident, my brother saw a little dark figure sitting on my bed watching me sleep. As Ryan described it, what his brother had seen sounded exactly like the gargoyle-like creature Josh had encountered. Sandy wanted to call her grandmother to ask her about the new Chatty Cathy doll and the other presents she received for Christmas. The house phone was hung up high on the wall, however, too high for her to reach without help. Unfortunately, her dad and her brother had gone out to shovel snow and her mother was in the shower. Sandy couldn't wait. She thought she would burst if she couldn't tell her grandmother right away about her new treasures. I was becoming increasingly impatient, she remembers. I decided to pretend to call my grandmother on the toy telephone I got for Christmas. Back then where I lived, there were no dial phones. All calls were operator assisted and when I picked up the receiver on my toy telephone, I distinctively heard an operator say, What number, please? I was shocked, but I told her my grandmother's number, which I still remember to this day. I heard the phone begin to ring, and soon my grandmother, with her heavy Italian accent, was saying hello. I immediately began telling her all about my chatty Kathy doll, but she wanted to know where my mother was. I explained that my mother was in the shower and my dad and brother were outside 
she knew that I could not use the telephone by myself and asked me how I climbed up to use the telephone high up on the wall. I explained that I had called her on my toy telephone. She laughed heartily before telling me to have my mother call when she got out of the shower. When my mother got out of the shower, I tried to tell her that I had really talked to grandma on my toy phone and that she wanted my mother to call her. My mother laughed like my grandmother did, but since I kept insisting that she call grandma, she finally did. When she discovered that I had really talked to my grandmother, I got in big trouble. My mother insisted I had somehow dangerously climbed the wall to use the phone. I insisted that I had called grandmother on my toy phone and got in big trouble for lying. Sandy spent the rest of Christmas in her room, falsely accused of dangerous climbing and lying. I was frustrated about that, she says, but I couldn't help but smile over the fact that I had somehow called my grandmother on my toy telephone that Christmas morning. It had to be magic. In early summer of 1954, Douglas was eight years old and living in an eastern suburb of London, England, close to Epping Forest. His neighborhood was a mixture of terraced 1930s houses interspersed with fields, empty lots where the houses had been destroyed by German bombing and nature had taken over, much to the pleasure of the kids. It was tough going for Douglas in those days. My dad had just left, he says. The stress of the war and the lure of a young woman. My mom and two sisters and I lived on, feeding on potatoes, cabbage, eggs and bread. Mom got a job at the engineering factory just around the corner to pay the home loan. One particular day after lunch, Douglas walked his mother back to her job before he was heading off to school. He asked if he could have a few pennies to buy some candy. I can still see the open handbag and the big leather purse she opened, which was empty, Douglas recalls. I can still feel the immense mutual embracement that there was no pocket money to be had. I skipped away wishing I had never asked. Douglas ran across a field behind some shops, then on a mud path through the grass across another open space. Still craving sweets, he decided to employ a higher authority. In my grief and childish need, I just demanded of Jesus pocket money for sweets, he says. In reply, a deep male voice somewhere above and behind me said, kick the grass. I looked about. I was alone. I kicked the grass. Kick the grass, said the voice, and I did again. This was a clump of solid wild grass, almost wild oats that seemed to take over bomb sites in those days. Kick the grass again, said the voice, and I did. Out of the grass rolled a hexagonal coin worth three pence in those days. Elated with his astonishing luck, Douglas dashed off to the sweet shop with his coin and consumed the rest of his surreal experience. I've thought of this occurrence throughout my life, Douglas reflects, and have no conclusions except that it actually happened and I consumed the result. To my knowledge, the voice was coming from just behind and above me, although no one was there. The voice was deep, English and male, 
and I didn't recognize it. My further attempts at securing instant money by praying did not work. Alice was eight years old and living in Glasgow, Scotland. In those years, Alice's parents would often visit an elderly woman they knew, just to look in on her from time to time. This kind lady would sometimes request that Alice and her younger sister to sleep over at her house. I have no idea why, Alice says, because she was really old and she didn't ever pay us any attention. But she was recently widowed, so maybe she was just lonely. One night, Alice and her sister slept over in the woman's guest room. It was a small room with very old furniture, a double bed with a mahogany headboard that had a pole cord light attached to it, a mahogany tall boy, and a matching mahogany dressing table and chair. The dressing table had three mirrors, a large one in the center with two smaller ones on either side. Alice was having trouble sleeping that night. The heat made her feel very uncomfortable, and her sister's persistent and loud snoring seemed intent on keeping her awake. The bed had loads of blankets on it, and I reached out and pulled the cord on the light so that I could see to push some of the blankets off me, Alice says. As I sat up, I found myself looking straight into the dressing table mirror. Alice did not see her own reflection in the mirror, however. Instead, it was that of an old, slim lady with white curly hair. She was wrapped in a huge white bath towel, Alice remembers. Her head was bent down, as if she was looking at the ground. With her arms crossed in front of herself, she was rubbing her upper arms with the ends of the towel. The room she was in was different than the guest room. It had brown wood paneling on the wall that stopped about three-fourths of the way up. It was finished off with a picture rail around it. Then the lady stopped rubbing her arms. She lifted her head and she looked up at me and smiled. Terrified, Alice slid under the ton of blankets and stayed there with the light still on until the room filled with daylight. I know I was not dreaming, she insists. I have gone over that episode so many, many times in my mind. Although as an eight-year-old child I was petrified, as an adult, I also know that the spirit did not hurt me, nor did she do anything that makes me think she wanted to hurt me. Who she was or why she wanted me to see her is a mystery to me. There's one less intriguing piece to the story. When Alice went into the bedroom of her kind, elderly host, she noticed that she too had a dressing table with a mirror, but hers was covered completely with a pink shawl. I knew straight away that she too had seen something in her mirror, Alice says. I wish I could go back in time and ask her questions about it. Rachel's youngest baby was six months old and Rachel was living with her parents in Bethany, Oklahoma. With the baby sound asleep, Rachel, her mother and stepfather all stepped outside the house for a smoke, keeping tabs on the infant via baby monitor. My daughter had been asleep for about two hours, Rachel says. All of a sudden, my mom and I heard talking from the monitor. We just looked at each other. Then I would hear my daughter laugh 
like someone was playing with her. At first I thought that maybe we were hearing a signal from another monitor in someone else's apartment. Then the talking stopped, and the female that was talking began to sing. It was the same voice we heard talking. The woman was even saying my daughter's name in the song, Elena. Alarmed, Rachel rushed into the house to check on her daughter. Her mother was still listening on the monitor, and as soon as she heard Rachel open the door to the baby's room, the singing stopped. When I went into the room, says Rachel, there was no one there. So I went back outside, and the singing had started again. I asked my mom if she knew who the female was who was singing and talking to my daughter. She looked at me and smiled warmly. She said that she believed it was her great-great-grandmother. My mom and sister went to my neighbor's house, leaving me alone in the house. It was about 4.30 and already beginning to get dark. I took that opportunity to sneak upstairs into the attic to try on some Halloween stuff. I quickly ran up the steps, knowing that if my mom came back and caught me, I would be in deep trouble. Although all the windows were shut, I felt a cold breeze pass through me but I thought nothing of it at first because I had no past experience of paranormal phenomena. I rummaged through the bag of Halloween costumes and pulled out a witch's hat, which I tried on for size. Almost immediately, some unseen force hit the hat. I dropped the bag and quickly turned around, but found nothing against which I could have knocked the hat. As I bent down to pick up the bag, I saw the handle to the bathroom door turn and the door rapidly open. I walked cautiously into the bathroom, wondering what had caused the door to open in such a way. I suddenly had a feeling that there was another presence within the room. I looked out of the window to check if my mother and sister were still outside, and sure enough they were. Just as I was about to turn away from the window, I saw the reflection of the cupboard door sliding open. I turned around hastily to try and see what was causing these incidents, but I wasn't quick enough to catch whatever it was. Terrified, I threw the bag back into the cupboard box and ran downstairs and out into the front garden, waiting anxiously for my mom to return home. That night, I had a nightmare about what might have followed if I'd stayed up there any longer. Evil, gleaming red eyes stared at me from the bathroom cupboard, locking me in the bathroom and causing complete havoc around the house. Several unexplainable things have happened up there since then, including self-breaking objects. But what was it besides my own equilibrium that I disturbed in that attic that evening? It was Halloween evening 1995 when Pamela and her brother were heading home on a country road near Greenbelt, Maryland. 
As it was darkening, Pamela reckons they were moving at about 25 to 30 miles per hour on the two-lane road, with her brother at the wheel. Suddenly appearing behind them and approaching quickly was a black vehicle with two large, round and glaringly bright headlights. Almost as quickly, the car was beside them and on the left, as if trying to pass. But, Pamela says, it seemed the old black car was floating rather than riding the pavement. This old car was in the path of head-on traffic, Pamela recalls. It seemed like those other cars kept going on without interruption. My brother and I looked over inside the car, and there were four young teenagers, two young men and two young ladies. Strangely, they looked to be dressed in farm clothing from the 1930s or 1940s, and they all looked as white as ghosts. The young lady in the front passenger seat turned her head slowly to Pamela and her brother and smiled, then turned back. The two people in the back seat just stared. Then, inexplicably, the car floated past them and vanished into thin air. But that's not the end of this ghost story. In 1997, my brother and I were on the same road around the same time again coming home, Pamela says, and the same spirits appeared and repeated the same scene. In 1998, my brother was alone driving home on this road, and the same ghosts appeared again, repeating the same scenario. Maybe these teens were going out on Halloween, and got into some terrible accident. They are clearly stuck on this road driving. God rest their souls. On Halloween, many people test their bravery by venturing into dark cemeteries. Sarah and her husband, who had always been fascinated by the unknown, decided to do just that on the Halloween night of 2002. It was an experience, she says, that changed her life. We chose Blood Cemetery in McWanago, Wisconsin, Sarah tells us. I think it goes by a different name now, but the Blood family was the first African-American family in that town, and they are buried in that cemetery near a statue of a book on a pillar. Sarah's husband used to live in that town, and often heard tales of supernatural events occurring in the cemetery. This got Sarah's juices flowing, so armed with a camera, two flashlights and an audio recording device, they headed into the tiny cemetery. We headed for the Blood Monument first, she says. After waiting around in vain for the Blood family to show themselves, we did a little walking around. We were about 48 feet away from the Blood Monument, when something made me turn around and look back at it. I saw what appeared to be a giant blue orb. It was about the size and shape of a human head, and about that far off the ground. I didn't look long enough to make out a face, so I cannot tell you if it was truly a face or not. That's all it took for Sarah and her husband to run out of the cemetery at a speed they never imagined they could attain. Although the ground was dry, they both stumbled and tripped as they ran. Her husband said he felt as though he was being sucked into the ground, 
but Sarah's sword felt more like hands grabbing at her ankles and pants. At the outer edge of the cemetery, they caught their breath and gathered their courage for one more short walk around the gravestones with the audio recorder and camera. I tried to open myself up a little, and I was lured to a random area of the cemetery, says Sarah. We stood there for about ten seconds, until I felt the sudden urge to run. I said, Oh my God, we have to go. I started running with all my might. My husband followed. I turned and I snapped a picture of the spot we were standing. When we got back to the car, we listened to the audio. This is what we heard. The shuffling of our feet in the leaves. And then it stops. Get out. The voice was obviously not human but not quite animal, Sarah is certain. It was a demon. The picture showed a whole lot of nothing, except for two little red eyes. High schoolers and even college students seem to love Halloween as much as little kids do. It's an opportunity to challenge their fears of the unknown, and to indulge in scary pranks. Chris will never forget the Halloween of 1981, when he was enrolled at a college in his hometown. Chris and five or six of his friends decided to check out a small cemetery at the edge of campus. A rusty, worn chain-link fence encircled the few graves of past college faculty and their relatives. It wasn't long before I felt... something... Chris remembers. A few minutes later, I heard the crunch and rhythm of footsteps shuffling through the leaves on the ground. Some of the others heard it too, and we all looked in the direction of the footsteps, and when we didn't see anything, we assumed it was another friend trying to scare us. They all laughed it off at first, but the sound of the footsteps continued. Every couple of minutes, Chris would look down the length of the fence. He squinted his eyes, trying to find the prankster in the dark. But he couldn't see anyone, even as the crunch of leaves got louder and closer. Then, to the left of his vision, coming from the dark edge of the woods, Chris saw it. Vague in shape, he was definitely cloaked in black head to foot, Chris says. It seemed to move in spurts of speed. And then, as though time fast forward, it would be ahead of my speed of sight, closer to me than before, until it stopped at the corner post of the fence. The figure changed shape from a thin, tall form as it turned to its left and faced the students. It was cloaked and hooded, although Chris could make out no arms nor eyes to look at for familiarity. There was no shape of feet, even though the hem of its cloak floated inches above the leaves and grass. Scared, Chris wheeled away from the whole affair, and without saying a word to his friends, ran uphill to the first lighted building he could find. I felt someone was running beside me, he says. I was relieved when I saw one of my friends. 
we stopped running and asked each other what we saw, and we both said the same words, saw the same vision. Since that night, I have seen my friend often, except for one occasion a couple of years after that Halloween, we have never talked about what we saw that night. Halloween often inspires people to break out their Ouija boards, even if the talking board has been sitting gathering dust on a shelf the rest of the year. Bea and her friends Ingrid, Anna, Laura and May decide to experiment with the board one night some years ago in Bea's large house in Australia. Bea's parents were away on business and her brother and sister were visiting an uncle in South Australia so she and her friends had the house to themselves for a sleepover. Naturally, sleep was the last thing on their minds. Anna, who was really into seances and the paranormal, suggested playing with the Ouija board, which she brought with her. I have two Pomeranian dogs, Muffy, Tan, and Shadow, Black, says Bia, and my friend Ingrid has a white Pomeranian called Haley, Muffy, Shadow, and Haley, along with Anna's dog, Ernie, and Laura's two dogs, Archie and Rosie, were all in the backyard, and we hadn't heard a peep out of them for about an hour. Upstairs in Bea's bedroom, the girls arranged themselves in a circle with Anna's Ouija board in the center. They each placed two fingers on the planchette. Anna started by asking the board, Is anybody there? The board moved to yes. Then Ingrid asked, Who? And the board spelled out, Gail. Who are you? Another girl asked. Again the board spelled out only, Gail. More detail, another requested. But the board only replied, Gail. What's going to happen tonight? Bea asked. Dogs, the board spelled. What are you going to do to our dogs? You'll see, replied the Ouija. Bia pushed the board aside and the girls just sat there staring at each other. The silence was soon broken by a piercing whimper from the backyard. The five girls jumped up and raced down the stairs, fearing for their dogs. We flung the back door open and raced out, says Bia. We soon discovered Laura's dog Archie whimpering in a corner. We didn't even take a second glance at any of them. We simply picked up our dogs, all of them were small ones, and ran them inside up to my room. Once we had them upstairs, we fussed around inspecting every inch of them. Laura screamed, and we rushed over to see her holding Archie, who had a burn mark on his left side in the shape of a pentagram in a circle. We spent the whole night with the dogs in our arms and vowed to burn the board the next morning. The following incident happened on Halloween night 2005. The only reason this is burned into my memory is because about six of us were witness to it, so it often comes up in conversations. There is a legend nearby deep in the dark woods of an old haunted mill. The story behind it is that a family of three used to live there 
a father, mother, and their four-year-old son. The mother apparently went crazy and drowned her son in the pond next to the house. When the father came home from working at the mill and found his son, he attacked the mother, and the fight ended in the attic, with the mother shooting the father in the head with a rifle. It is said that she hid his body beneath the floorboards, then hung herself up in the attic. The legend suggests if you go up in the attic and call the woman degrading names, she will appear to you. So, being the bored kids that we were, my five friends and I piled into my little car and drove to the haunted mill. I had my digital camera and was anxious to capture images of some ghosts. I'm a bit of a skeptic too, and I'm always finding excuses for the so-called orbs and photographs, constantly insisting that they are flecks of dust, bugs, or drafts of light. The woods that the mill is settled in are always very dark, so the moonlight hardly penetrated the trees as we arrived at the old stone house. We all crept out of the car and were startled to see two large black horses standing in front of the house. I quickly snapped a picture of them. Then we moved around, trying to find a way in. To our dismay, the only opening was a small window through the basement. We had to get down on our hands and knees to crawl through. As I bent down, I felt someone push me from behind. I cried out and looked around to see I was in last place, and I put my hand down to catch my balance only to cry out again as my hand caught something thorny. I looked down and saw nothing unusual. Upon examining my hand, everything looked fine. It felt like I had barbs sticking into my skin, yet I couldn't see anything. After we all squeezed in through the opening, we turned on our flashlights and began exploring the house. The walls to our surprise were all drywall, and we realized that the house wasn't as old as we had originally thought. Yet they were covered in graffiti, a lot of upside-down crosses and 666 signs, which didn't do much to calm our nerves. Finally, we made it up to the attic. We all huddled together in the centered and held hands. Nobody wanted to shout the curses, so I, being the skeptic, and therefore the bravest, decided to take on that role. I shouted some choice words in the darkness around us, and we all held our breath, waiting. Nothing happened. We waited for about fifty minutes with no apparition of the woman's ghost. With a mixture of relief and disappointment, we turned and headed down the stairs. Somehow I got in last place again, so I turned and snapped one more picture of the empty attic. I swear to you, as my flash bounced off the walls, I saw a lone female figure standing in the back corner. Terrified, I ran down the steps after my friends. No more incidences happened, although when we got outside, the horses were nowhere to be found. I took one more picture of the house, one of the old crumbling barn, one of the pond and one of the eerie little shack we found in the backyard. Then we once again all piled into my car and left the premises. When we got back to my friend's house, we hooked up my camera to the TV 
so he could sift through the pictures on a large screen. The results were creepy, to say the least. A picture of the horses captured them standing there, staring at us. Their eyes were red. Now I know that often happens to people's and animals' eyes in pictures, but it was still unsettling to look at. The rooms in the house all had millions of orbs in them. I brushed it off until we viewed the pictures of the barn, the pond, and the little shack. None of those had any orbs. Yet the picture of the house had tons of them. Weird. The attic photos showed nothing unusual, unfortunately, so nobody believed me when I said I thought I saw something. But the last picture that someone had snapped of the side of the house was the creepiest. A few orbs appeared in the air, but one orb in particular was an odd bluish-purple color, and there was the distinct outline of a skull. I have the pictures still to this day, and everyone I have shown them to all agree that they are very strange, and the skull picture, as we dubbed it, is the most chilling picture I have ever took. The weird thing is, the skull is looming directly over the place where I had snagged my hand on something, and in the following days, an odd rash appeared all over my fingers. It eventually went away, but the doctors had no idea what it was, and neither do I. Every Halloween around midnight in our living room, I see a white figure of a little boy just staring at me. This first happened in 2005, the year my mom and I first moved into our apartment. I was 10 years old and my mom was sleeping. Usually I can't sleep on Halloween because I get too scared. That year, I couldn't close my eyes without feeling someone sneaking into my room. When I first saw it, it was about 1am and I was just lying in my bed thinking about the Halloween that had just passed. I started to drift off. Then I felt as if someone or something was tickling my feet. So I opened my eyes and that was when I saw him. I distinctly remember that he was all the way over by the wall. I closed my eyes thinking that it was just my imagination but when I opened them again, he was closer than he was before. I ran into my mom's room and told her what I saw. Of course, she didn't believe me, and she told me to go back to sleep, so I went back to my room and fell asleep. I dreamed of the boy in white all through the rest of the night, and it scared me incredibly badly. The thing about it is, as I see him every year, he gets clearer and clearer, and he also gets bigger and bigger, as if he is growing up with me. I'm 13 now, and he also looks about 13. It happened in London on October 31st, Halloween. I was making the rounds at my Halloween party looking for my 7-year-old son, and I couldn't find him. I went to his room and he wasn't there, but then I heard him laughing in the wardrobe. I opened the wardrobe, and he was the only one in there, laughing. 
I just thought he was doing what normal kids do, playing, until later on. The party was all over and I was cleaning up. I couldn't find my son again, so I went upstairs and checked the wardrobe. He was in there laughing again. This time I asked him what he was doing. I'm playing with Mary, he replied. I thought this time one of the kids was in there with him, hiding, so I opened the other side of the wardrobe. There was nobody there, so I thought that he had an imaginary friend. I told him to stop talking about an imaginary friend because it's not real, and then I went downstairs to clean more. Two hours later at 10 p.m., I'd finished cleaning up and my son was already in bed. I was tired, so I went to bed. When I went into my room, I found a message written in my lipstick on the mirror saying, You're wrong. I am real. I am Bloody Mary. As soon as I saw this, I rushed to my son's room only to find him with bloody scratches all over his arms, legs, and face. He shouted at me, I hate you. This wouldn't have happened if you said that she was real. It was Halloween 2004. It all happened in my cousin's house at Antipolo City, Philippines. It was a nice day, and I was so excited that I would be seeing my cousins and other relatives. I had been spending my summer months with them for years, and we have this tradition of making the most out of our time together. That day, my cousin and I went to buy music CDs and decided to grab a DVD movie so we could hang out at home watching and enjoying R&B sounds. We decided to go straight back home to my cousin's house to listen to the CDs we bought. We took the back entrance of their house leading to the second floor, where we saw her nanny and niece. My cousin decided to stay in her room for a few minutes, and as for me, I started taking the stairs down to the ground floor of the house. The ground floor part of my cousin's house had been abandoned for about three months. My other two cousins had used two bedrooms down there, but now they had to vacate the ground floor to reserve it for guests during special occasions only. The house itself had three floors, yet there are only five people who live in it. As I took the last step of the stairs, at the side of my eyes I saw a dark, tall shadow about six feet tall pass by the kitchen door at my left. I just ignored it though, since then I was more excited about listening to the CDs, and I had been seeing a lot of those shadows in the past years, so at this point I was kind of used to it. I took one of the CDs and began to play it on the stereo with just a minimal volume, just for me to relax. As I was sitting on the couch, my cousin came into the living room and turned the stereo volume up very loud. As we were enjoying the music, suddenly the volume dropped down to zero. I just stared at it, wondering how it happened. My cousin even got mad at me because she thought I was the one who lowered the volume using the remote control. I just looked at her and pointed at the remote control on the top of the stereo. Realizing that I wasn't responsible, my cousin suddenly ran upstairs 
screaming, dead scared to stay in the living room. I was left alone, trying to analyze what had just happened. A few seconds after that, I ran upstairs too to check on my cousin. Surprisingly, the nanny upon seeing me told me that she also heard strange sounds while we were down in the living room. She explained that the sounds that she had heard upstairs were like humming frogs or crickets. After about an hour, my cousin and I went downstairs again to watch a movie, when something strange happened. While watching, we suddenly felt scared because we could hear the sounds from the previous scenes of the movie, like a long delayed echo. It seemed like something was actually trying to mimic the movie particularly the sounds. Finally, we made up our minds to stop watching and just listen to the CDs, this time a lot louder. We also switched on all the lights on the ground floor. This time, my cousin even shouted at the ghost. This is when I'm able to spend time with my cousin, so beat it. From there we went on enjoying the sounds and chatting with each other. During the height of our enjoyment, one of the figurines from the top of the stereo flew off and crashed on the floor. My cousin wasn't scared. In fact, she got mad because it was her mom's favorite figurine. At first we thought it was the strong vibration of the speakers that caused the figurine to fall. But there were many other items on top of the speakers, some a lot lighter than the figurine. So why just that one? Also, it didn't just fall, it was more like it was thrown. We knew we weren't welcome anymore. Something was trying to hinder us from staying in that particular part of the house. We found out that it wasn't just us who experienced weird things in that living room, but also my other cousins and most of the people who used to work there as nannies for them. These former nannies had left without a word even without getting paid. Perhaps they were in fear of getting harmed or bothered by that same shadow entity. This experience is very dear to me, though it grows blurry with time, Satori tells us. Memory fades like breath upon a mirror, especially ones that were dim to begin with. But this is what I remember. I do not know exactly what I saw, but I do know it changed me. Satori's experience took place at an all-girls Catholic college she attended, where it was rumored there was a particular bathroom that was haunted. The girls frequently talked about the icy air in this room and of hearing and seeing strange things and a feeling of being watched. Satori dismissed them as tall tales. One Halloween, however, Satori and her friend decided to go and talk to the spirit. They went into one of the bathroom stalls that had a bathtub because it was said to be the center of the haunting energy. My friend got into the bathtub and started feeling around, Satori says. I did too. And I felt the most amazing feeling, a tingling like electric current coming from the walls and faucets. I was stunned, but oddly enough not afraid. Elated was more the word, 
We got out of the tub, and that's when I saw it. The pale image of a young girl with dark hair and deep, sad eyes. She was wearing some kind of slip. Her wrists were cut, and her blood was dripping down the drain. She looked like me. Again, I did not feel fear, only sympathy. I think she put the razor in the soap dish, I said to my friend. I know, she answered. Suddenly, I felt this presence, this tingling warm feeling inside, like the way your arms prickle before a storm. I said to it, Come out, don't be afraid. And the feeling got stronger. Then I said, It's okay, we understand. You can go back. And the feeling seemed to move upward in my body until it disappeared. Then there was no more energy. When the girl stood to leave, however, Satori was stricken with an overwhelming feeling of sadness and loneliness. I knew she did not want us to leave, Satori says. I said to her gently, I'm so sorry, but we can't help you. You need to go back now. Then I felt the sadness lift, and the room grew lighter. I felt her leave. She never returned, and no one spoke of her again. But I will never forget her. She taught me a lesson. Compassion heals all wounds, whether alive or dead. When I was in preschool, I remember having a best friend named Mary. I still remember her perfectly, down to the lamb sweater she always wore and her haircut very similar to how mine was. I remember playing with her in my room, sitting with her during lunch and craft time, and I remember her coming to my birthday party and even playing tag all day. After preschool had ended and kindergarten began, Mary stopped showing up at school and I never really saw her again since. A few years ago, I'm 17 now, I asked my mom what had happened to Mary and where she had went. My mom informed me that there was no such person and there never had been. She told me that she would hear me talking to myself in my room. I always ran around by myself playing tag and that even my preschool teachers had mentioned that I would always introduce them and other students to my friend, but no one ever saw her. I blocked my childhood memories out until I was about 15, so I really have no recollection of a lot of things that had happened. But Mary is one person I've never forgotten, or been able to forget, and I never understood why. Now I live in a very small town famous for a school bombing in the late 1920s. I searched some records and found a girl that looked very similar to Mary who was killed in the explosion. A lot of the people had reported seeing unrecognizable children dressed in outdated clothing at the elementary school, but no one I know has ever talked about seeing them at or around or in their house 
or even wearing clothing that was similar to New Age children. I attended the same university for my bachelor's and my PhD. There was a lovely woman by the name of Jennifer, who was my reading and content area instructor. All the guys swooned over her because she was gorgeous. And I loved her because she read us the giver out loud. She was an awesome instructor and was doing her PhD in literacy. Fast forward a few years and Jen has moved to South Carolina to teach literacy. I'm now in my PhD program and in the same grad student's office that she used to work in with other literacy people that were her colleagues. And then we get the news that she was murdered by her boyfriend. Everyone is totally devastated and it was a huge blow to the department as she was genuinely loved by everyone who knew her. So a few days after her funeral, her body was brought home. I'm in the office suite, very early in the morning when no one else is about. The grad students had a fishbowl office, within a larger office suite, that was locked and had light motion sensors. I'm walking in and pass a locked door and window, and I see a woman with short dark hair walk the other way inside, which was weird because... The lights didn't flicker when she moved. So I walked around the corner to the door with a key code and let myself in. I walk inside and head to where I saw her. The lights flicker on when they sense me. No one is there. It's just me in eerie suites of empty office. I swear to God that it was her. Saying goodbye to a place she spent so many years where she had so many good friends. It spooked the hell out of me, and it may be quite sad too. When I was in the eighth grade, I went on a school trip that was called the Louisiana Tour. It was mostly going around to significant sites in South Louisiana. One of the places we went was Myrtle's Plantation, which is considered to be one of the most haunted places in the country. There are all kinds of stories about the place, but at one point we were standing in a room as a part of a larger group, and the tour guide was talking about something, but I don't remember what. As I'm standing there, I start to hear what sounds like someone hitting a piano key. After I heard it a couple of times, I started to look around for the source of the noise. I didn't see a piano, but I kept hearing it. So I asked my friends who were standing near me if they heard it, and they said no. When I heard it again, I said there it is again, and that they must have heard it, and they thought I was crazy. So I went back to looking around the room. Everyone's eyes were on the tour guide except for one woman. She caught my eye and pointed at me, then at her ear with a questioning look. I realized she was asking if I heard it too, and I nodded. At this point the tour guide starts telling a story about a soldier who had died there and that he played the piano and multiple guests had reported hearing him playing it in the night. I honestly didn't know what to think, 
and I guess I still don't. I talked to the woman as we were all leaving the room, and she had heard the exact same thing as me, but her husband and son had not heard it. Many years ago, when I met my ex, her family and her lived in a mobile home. My ex has this younger sister who is a bit messed up, in and out of sight wards, etc. So, my ex and her younger sister shared a small room in the mobile home. And whilst we were dating, and before my son was born, she told me the story about how her younger sister would wake up and talk to the man in the hallway. The man always had a suitcase and wore a brimmed hat. My ex and her family always dismissed them as, well, your younger sister is just a bit nuts. Flash forward a few years. My ex and I have a son together. Her parents moved out of the mobile home and into a house and were renting the mobile home to my ex. Our son's room was the exact same room where my ex and her sister slept in. One night after our son had gone to bed and had been asleep for a while, I went to check on him. We heard him get out of bed and we figured that he'd come out of his room to ask us to use the potty. Instead, he started talking to someone. He said hi and started talking about his favourite stuffed animals. At the time, it was a ducky. Curious, I called back and asked him who he was talking to. He pops his head out of the room and informs me he's talking to a man with a suitcase who was wearing a hat. At the time, he was about two and a half, and no one had ever told him about his auntie seeing the same guy. I come from a fairly religious family. We were Jehovah's Witnesses growing up, the RLDS, then Baptists when I went to live with my mom. That being said, the entire family always believed in spirits, ghosts, demons, witches, elementals, etc. As a kid I had no clue what ghosts were except what was on TV. Not until I was about eight or nine when I was laying on a couch in our living room. The grown-ups were sitting in front of the couch in a circle. I was just laying there listening to the stories of my elders when my grandmother says, Oh, Michael, my dad's name. I saw a male ghost walk through your house yesterday. Since then I've had some experiences and have always been fond of the experiences of my family members and other people's too. My first encounter with a ghost was with whom I believe was the man my grandma mentioned. I had gotten home from school and wanted a snack so I grabbed an orange, peeled it, and took it to the trash can. Our trash can was in our pantry storage room. From our front door straight ahead is our kitchen, to the left the basement, Straight ahead from the kitchen is the storage room, behind that the laundry room. As I was headed to the trash can, I remember getting pretty antsy. I felt as if someone was right above me. 
almost as if someone was towering over me. I put the peels in the trash can, and as soon as I closed the lid, I heard a very deep-sounding, menacing laugh right behind me. <laughs> I was pretty terrified and ran to find my sister and tell her what had happened. She was surprised because she said she's heard the same laugh in that room before, which made me feel a little better. Yes, it could have been my neighbor's voice traveling into the house, but that room had no doors or windows, and I heard it right behind me. The second encounter I had was when I was in fifth grade. I finally got to stay home alone one night whilst my dad and siblings ran errands, and I was super excited. I had never stayed home alone before and enjoyed the peace and quiet. I decided I would try and finish my homework as quick as I could so that I could play video games by myself instead of sharing with my brother. So I'm sitting at the dining room table. Everything is fine and I'm getting my work done. After about 20 minutes, I start to hear the basement door rattle. I think maybe a draft is coming through and write it off as that. It rattles again. Whatever, it's just wind, I think. But all of a sudden I hear footsteps running through the house. Not like your usual steps here, steps there. But I hear running. From over by the basement all the way to the back of the house where our bedrooms are. My dogs start barking and I freak out. I'm frozen in my chair for what feels like forever, feeling that if I move, it'll happen again. I muster up the courage to grab our house phone and run out of the house. I sit at the edge of our driveway and call my mom, telling her what's happening and just stare at the windows of our house. As I'm talking to her, the curtains in the front room start to move as if someone was peeking through them. My mom calls my dad and tells him what had happened. I sit there for another 30 minutes until he and my siblings get home. I didn't stay home alone again for a long, long time. This next one is something that happened to my mother. My mother has always had a sort of gift. She has been able to hear spirits speak to her and see spirits since she was a little kid. The first story she ever told me though, kept me up all night. It was dinner time, and me and my brother and mother were all at the dinner table. We were all talking about various topics, and the subject of ghosts popped up. She told us she would tell us a story if we promised we weren't going to get scared. When she was about six years old, she lived in Virginia with her four siblings and parents. They lived in a pretty old house that had a lot of history. She said she remembered being inside playing with her dolls. She was sitting next to a vent and said she started to hear something in the basement. She said she leaned in and put her ear to the vent and all she heard was her name. She said that there was a woman's voice coming from the vent, saying her name in a song voice like, Valerie, 
Valerie. She said she got up, ran outside and told her parents. They said she was making it up and had an overactive imagination. Years later, my mom found out that a woman hung herself in the basement of that house. This last one is another one that involves my mother. She told me when I was about 23. She moved back to Virginia when I was about 17 or 18. My brother went with her as well. She's a nurse and decided to go take care of my grandfather as he was dying since she was the most qualified out of her siblings. A little before my grandfather passed, mother decided to look for houses to live in since she couldn't bear living in the house that her father was so sick in. Understandable. So she had a couple of houses picked out that she wanted to look at for her and my brother. The first house was small and wouldn't work out for them, so her and the realtor went to the next one on the list. They got to the house, and everything was fine until they got inside of the place. My mother said she took five steps into the house, looked into the first room, and said she saw a man standing there. He was in old clothing, like a late 1800s, early 1900s style suit with a top hat and cane. Behind the man sat six little children. She said they were emaciated and dirty, wearing rags compared to what he was wearing. My mother said that in her head she heard his voice. The man told her that this was his house, that she wasn't welcome here and to turn around and leave immediately. Don't ever come back or there will be consequences. She said this all happened so fast that she barely noticed the realtor ask her if she was okay. Apparently my mom had stopped dead in her tracks and had gone pale. My mom just told the realtor that she suddenly felt sick and wouldn't be looking at any more houses that night. My grandfather died last year, sometime when my son was maybe a year old. We had dinner with the whole family every Friday, so my son had seen him several times. My grandfather was very quiet and a proud man, but when he thought he was alone or unseen, he would make silly faces at my son to get a laugh. A couple of nights after his funeral, my son, who likes to crawl into bed with us in the middle of the night, started laughing uncontrollably at 2am. So I get out of the bed to go see what's going on and find my son sitting in the middle of the living room in the dark, laughing. Remember, it's 2am. So I say, Hey, buddy, what are you doing? He just replies, Papa, funny. I got a little nervous for some reason and went to pick him up and bring him up to our room for the rest of the night. And as I'm hauling him away, he says, Bye, Papa, and blows a kiss at absolutely nothing I can see. Who is 
The Hat Man When researching paranormal activity, you are bound to stumble across the phenomenon known as shadow beings or shadow people. Spectral shapes of light that take many forms from animals and insects to human-like. The most minute experiences can include an unsettling sighting to full-fledged paralysis and physical encounter. Yet the most mysterious and unique cases are those involving what has been dubbed the Hat Man. Described as having a Zorro-type hat, he wears a three-piece suit and a cape or a long trench coat. Other attributes ascribed to the Hat Man include occasionally wearing a watch that dangled from his hip, having either a goatee or being clean-shaven, and possessing glowing red or solid black eyes. Whatever his appearance, he is almost always sinister in nature. The following four stories are true encounters from individuals just like yourself, describing their experiences with the Hat Man. <laughs> These experiences have confused and befuddled me for years. Being somewhat logical and searching for answers to events, I'm torn between what my logical mind is stating and what my senses have defined as truly paranormal. There are several members here who can identify with the ability to see spirits with the mind's eye, and it's this ability that has me questioning my logic. We all know about sleep paralysis and the dreamlike hallucinations one can have upon waking and finding oneself without the ability to move or speak. But what about when it occurs prior to falling asleep? Perhaps I should elaborate. There have been times when soon after I lay down to sleep, sometimes only seconds after, I can visualize and sense a presence. Normally, he is standing close behind me, although many times I've seen him standing in a doorway to the room I'm in. He is who most of us call the Hat Man, and he gives off a very terrifying vibe. He is pitch black, wears a wide-brim hat and a trench coat. He never moves, neither closer nor further away. Sometimes, I lie awake trying not to close my eyes because I know what's coming next. Soon after the visualization, my ears begin to ring, my head starts to buzz, and from there the buzz takes over my body and sends me into paralysis. I feel like he's trying to gain access to my innermost thoughts and emotions, not possession, mind you, but more like being read. I should mention that one of my biggest fears is being smothered or drowned and the feeling I get during an episode is that of being buried alive. Not the physical sensation of pressure, but that I'm running out of air. I've had these episodes most of my life, way before I knew what a shadow person or who the hat man was. Words can express the fear that overtakes me when I hear the activities of others in the area and am powerless to alert them. There have been times when the ringing in my ears begin, then the vision, 
The only time I can control the progress of the paralysis is during the ear ringing. Once the buzz comes, it's too late. I haven't had an episode in quite a while, but I feel it's because my discovery on how to gain control of the situation. Once I learned how to snap myself out during the ear ringing, the occurrences became fewer and fewer and eventually stopped altogether. Just talking about this makes me feel the sense of a presence. I will say no more, but I can already hear the ringing. It was June 2014 in Los Angeles, California. I was sleeping on the top part of my bunk bed. I was 13 and hadn't had much experience with the supernatural or the paranormal before. I was lying on my back and my knees were up and my feet flat on the mattress. I was slowly falling asleep when I wanted to change positions but found that I couldn't. I tried laying my legs flat down but I still couldn't. I didn't have a blanket on me so it started to get a little cold. I remember wanting to call out to my mom in the next room but couldn't speak. I stayed like that for a few minutes and during those few minutes it started to get very hard to breathe. My breathing slowed down and my heart was beating incredibly fast. I felt pressure on my chest but saw nothing there. Once I was let out of this strange control, something told me to look down at my room floor and I remember seeing a shadow figure. The night light in my room was on so I could see it clearly. It was like a shadow and it was male. He was wearing a suit and a hat like a 1940s businessman and in a blink of an eye he was gone. I had these experiences more often after that, but I never saw another shadow figure. I remember one time hearing thumps in the wall, but I always just thought it was the neighbors, but it was in the early AM hours so it couldn't have been. I researched this and found the old hag syndrome, but I'm still not sure what it was. I've been learning an incredible amount about shadow people lately. I never knew others had seen the same thing. I live in Coffeyville, Kansas, and I moved into an apartment building built in the 1920s. It, along with the Midland Theater next door, are known for paranormal activity. I've lived here 12 years and met the shadow man soon after I moved in. At first I'd see movement but really never looked, as I started looking when I first realized something was there. A dark shadow of a man would walk across the room along the east wall. I told my friends about what I called the shadow man, not knowing that it was so widely known. It wears what I call a Dick Tracy hat, it's called a fedora. He wears a trench coat with the collar turned up. There are no details, just the definite dark shape. One time I sensed the shadow person coming from behind me and on my left. As I turned in my chair, my head and shoulders passed through the shadow. Time seemed to go in slow motion. 
what was one second seemed like sixty. The shadow passed and on into the wall. I've never seen it again in that area of my apartment. I've never felt any fear. I had one experience that at first I didn't know what to think. The shadow man usually always acts the same. Never moves anything, just walks by. But I got up one morning and all my shoes and boots had been taken out of the closet and placed in a line, as if someone was stepping out of my bedroom. The shadow man or ghost seemed to be playing a trick. I've been sad the last couple of years. A new company bought the building and did a big remodel, and for whatever reason I don't see the shadow nearly as often as I used to. It truly is an amazing experience to witness, and I'm never afraid, only thrilled. <laughs> This happened in the late 80s or early 90s. My brother and I were on our way home from Prudential Hollow. We had been there the biggest part of the day, just messing around the old home places. Prudential was a land company and the hollow was shut down back in 1975 and 76 and all the remaining houses burned to the ground. It was getting late and we decided to head back home a good half hour to 45 minute walk. We were walking and talking, not paying too much attention on what was going on around us. After all, we had made this walk plenty of times before. We had made it to the head of the hollow and was walking up the straightaway that led to Silas Hollow and the turnoff going to our house. We were snapped back to reality when we heard something coming down the side of the hill to our right. We looked to where the sound came from, thinking that it was a wild animal, and saw an old man come off the hillside, step into the roadway, and start walking towards us. He was wearing a broadcloth type coat, and an old black slew hat with the brim shading his face. He walked hunched over with his hands clenched behind his back. No big deal. Just another guy out for a walk, I thought. As we neared each other, my brother and I eased to the left so he could pass to the right. We spoke a casual, hey, how's it going? And he muttered and nodded his head as he passed. Both of us felt uneasy, but kept it to ourselves. About a minute passed without either of us saying anything, and I asked my brother if he knew the man and he said no, that he had never seen him before. We walked for a couple of more minutes, I guess three or four, when we heard the same noise again, and automatically looked to the hillside, and that same man walked off the hill, stepped into the road, and started walking towards us again. This time we didn't speak, and my brother whispered for me not to look him in the eye. After he passed us the second time, my brother looked at me and said something like, Frank, something ain't right about this. Let's get out of here as fast as we can. I agreed, and we ran almost to the house. We got within eyesight of the house, and my brother said that he thought we were safe enough to stop and catch our breath. 
After we rested a few minutes, we went to his house and sat on his porch and tried to comprehend what we had just saw. At the time we couldn't come up with any answers, so his wife suggested we go talk to our mother. We did, and she told us that the man we saw had been seen by our father and older brothers years before, and that she had no idea who or what he was. I know it's been over twenty years since I've seen the specter, but I still can't get it out of my mind. Who is he? What is he? What is he?